I think we will start seeing more brands aim at this Daytona price of a chronograph. What they see is that people can't get enough of a 15 grand chronograph. I'm sure asking themselves like what we're doing here with our six, seven grand chronographs easily. I don't see anything on it that keeps it from being an eight grand watch or a seven grand watch, but it just happens to be 14. It's the Daytona effect. On this week's show, we have the battle royale between Rolex and Casio. Even more watches from Seiko, more reports on the red carpet with Panerai and LVMH dominate the week's releases with Hublot, Tag Heuer, Bulgari and Zenith, and all with Jose for company. Enjoy the show! Greetings and welcome to a blog to watch weekly. We have a full house this week. We have Ariel, say hello Ariel. Hello everyone. We have David, say hello David. Hey everyone. And we have special guest all the way from a ridiculously sunny eastern climb, unlike the minus six I'm currently suffering from in Scotland. We have Mr. Jose Perestroika. How are you, Jose? Hey, I'm good. Go on, just tease us. How was the temperature there? 30 degrees and, and above. <laughs> that is your one and only appearance. From now on, I'm only speaking to people who are in climates colder than the one I'm currently sitting in. You live in one of the cold parts of the world. What I find is that you seem to fetishize warm weather. Like people in warm climates, we're not like, wow, it'd be so nice to be in the snow. It doesn't matter how hot <laughs> it is. We're not like... But you guys are like imagining shorts on a beach, <laughs> sunlight, fewer clouds. Like there are warmer places. In fact, there are more and more warmer places. You don't <laughs> need to true. suffer. That's a very good point. Maybe it is something in the Scottish psyche which just likes to suffer and moan and say everyone else has got it better than us. Yeah, it's true though. We are quite obsessed with the weather in the UK and particularly everywhere where it's up. Our theme for this week is brought to us by David, David, you have a Monday article, fantastic grinding gears. Thank you. Uh, three trends we hope to see less of, yep. but probably will see more of in 2023. So three trends to summarise, a race to the bottom, a race to the archives, and a race to the top. So let's start you off with a race to the bottom. Whose bottom are you racing to? Personally, nobody is. <laughs> Shakira, but that's later in the show. It, yeah, that would be a different <laughs> show. But it's it's just a note on the ridiculousness of these high water resistance washes that we have addressed on previous uh, Block to Watch Weekly uh, recordings. You know, that it's, is it really a watch or a wristwatch if it's so big that it's, it's unbearable? You know, I, I, most other great engineering feats work and are praised because the item itself maintains its original purpose you know like if you build a really fast plane you can still fit people in it or or a really fast car you can still <laughs> register it on the road you know like a bugatti or something like that so if something stops being usable by 99.9 percent .9 of humans or basically everybody it's just totally pointless and it's not really a great engineering exercise is it it's shaped like a wristwatch but it's technically not a water resistant wristwatch because you cannot wear it on the wrist with any sort of dignity so that's that's my first point and so we are seeing this obviously in the release that we covered last week of the rolex is it actually called the deeper sea or is that just what we're all calling it <laughs> the deeper sea <laughs> it could be jose most ridiculous engineering feat in a watch you've ever seen the panerai crown guard <laughs> <laughs> I had to say that, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, a Panerai looks like much more, um, how to say, like menacing than, than actually this, this new Rolex that can actually go to like 12,000 meters. But a modern Panerai with, with, with this amazing 
Crown Guard has actually only a water resistance of, of 100 meters, which is amazing in comparison. I asked them, man, I was like, isn't this supposed to be a dive watch? And they're like, no, we make those as well. I was like, I don't understand. Aren't they all <laughs> supposed to be dive watches? Isn't their whole story I was supposed to create increased water resistance? And yet it actually increases it by nothing? It's true. Actually, it doesn't. It doesn't do if anything. If we look at the vintage pieces, it's like the 6152 one that uh, received the Crown Guard on the side. And that watch came from Rolex already with a water resistance uh, of 200 meters. And it remained 200 meters, even uh, though it was modified with the, with the Panerai crown guard. So it didn't change anything. It's just a feature to protect the crown from hitting it against, you know, like ship hauls and stuff. But is that not like typically Italian design? I was though? just going to say, let's, let's try it out. <laughs> It's an interesting idea. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> oh, it turns out it looks good, but it serves absolutely zero purpose whatsoever. <laughs> Maybe it'll do something someday. <laughs> I mean, you see right now, it's it's not it's not like a patented feature of, of Panerai. It's basically a trademark. They trademarked this half moon shape on the side of the case. And it also, uh, you know, like engraved on the on the crown guard that it's a trademark it's a, it's a weird hybrid patent it's called trade dress okay. it's like somewhere between trademark and a yeah. patent the reason it's like a patent is that there's sort of a construction and a shape related to it the reason is a trademark is because it's not associated with functionality, it's associated with, with product origin. So the idea is when you see what this thing looks like, it's supposed to make you think some specific person made it, right? The shape communicates the origin. Yeah. And they said, hey, when you see this thing out in the market, people assume us. And so when someone else makes it, they are trying to say, oh, wait a minute, is that a Panerai? No, it's not. Plus a lot of our watches, don't even have a, a name, uh, a, a, you know, a name of the brand on it. So people can only identify it from the shape. And, and so that's sort of the argument. But to do that, you have to really push it hard. You have to remind people and Panerai has to, I think, sue people all day long. Uh, Audemars Piguet uh, lost that with the octagonal bezel on the Royal Oak which uh, I think for a while they attempted to do that, but now that has been a, a genericized design element. So anyone can create an octagonal bezel uh, watch. Uh, it, it can be identical to that on the Royal Oak and there's nothing that Audemars Piguet can Interesting. do. Interesting. And frankly, it turns out everyone now does do an octagonal well, the news bezel. Has been, you know, the news is out. There was, <laughs> the news is out. I, there was a case actually in Italy. I think it was uh, D1 Milano actually, who uh -huh. um, I think it was them uh, actually had to go to court over this, and it actually turned. I think it was brought on by Audemar Piguet. I'm guessing, but it actually was a mistake legally speaking because the court determined that uh, they could not protect this design element, and that it did not mean that the watch was necessarily made by Audemar Piguet. Ah, the Streisand effect <laughs> at large. <laughs> David, that was the race to the bottom. We then had one of our favourites, I'm sure, Jose will have some commentary on this, the race to the archives about just the extent to which watch companies continue to delve into the past to try and create the future. We'll play some audio just now from Leslie, who's at Leslie Wine Food on Instagram. The best thing about this audio clip is the invitation we all get to go to Dublin. <laughs> Leslie is like a restaurant critic so knows how to show us all a good time in dublin but doesn't really appreciate your take on vintage 
Leslie Williams here from Dublin, Ireland. Uh, lads, you, you have me triggered. Vintage watches are fantastic. I don't understand the hate. I do not understand the hate. I have several vintage watches. They keep extremely good time. Uh, I have, a, say, a pole router I bought for about 380 euros. It costs about 200 euros to get it um, serviced. It keeps time to within a couple of seconds a day. Not wanting to talk about watches because they are old is a bit like an art credit, not wanting to talk about the Renaissance or the Pre-Raphaelites because, well, you know, paint is better now and artists are trained better. So therefore, we should ignore everything that was happening 20 years ago. My vintage watches will maintain their time as well as any of the other ones. I prefer the look of them. Uh, they cost hundreds rather than thousands often. Um, my son will be able to fix them in 100 years' time if he wants to um, because of the fact that they've got cogs and springs, not weird ceramic parts. Come to Dublin, we'll get the time graphers, and I'm telling you, I'll prove to you that all my vintage watches are keeping as good time as any of your modern ones. Leslie's kind of like, you know, why are you criticizing vintage watches just because it's new paint and paint is better doesn't mean you don't like the Mona Lisa because it was done with old paint. Mm. But I'm not sure that's quite what you're getting at in terms of a race to the archives. Uh, not exactly. Um, well, actually, I, I go on to praise those brands that can strike a, a healthy balance between, you know, reproducing or reviving some of their older designs as well as you know creating new and exciting designs uh, i think zenith zenith is my favorite example at the moment because if you look at them they, they've really I'm, I'm not sure if, if they started this trend but back at the time when jean frederic dufour was still the ceo and zenith was all over the place with these modern designs i think he was the one who started these uh, chrono master at the time air premiere revival series and they just said you know we have all these amazing designs which were kind of exciting and also uh, historically important so let's just start doing them again and then then it went down this rabbit hole of like vintage 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 and everything was sort of a re-release and then uh, beaver came into the picture with some of the integrated designs and whatever and now i think uh with the defy extreme and uh, with the chrono masters I, if you go to zenit you will find a watch for sure that is either a great vintage piece or a very cool very exciting modern watch and that's what i was getting at i i it's difficult for me to find respect for those brands who who really truly succumbed to this trend and said oh well i guess you know we made all these safe designs 50 60 years ago and we can just go to the archives and re re release all of those so I'm not against this trend. I'm against uh, it being the be-all and end-all of what a luxury brand does these days. Now, Jose, you extensively cover some of the results of people being obsessed with vintage watches and some of the shenanigans, shall we say, that uh, goes on. Do you want to just give us a very quick, don't want to dwell on it too much, but a very quick uh, update on what's been happening with the Rolex Unicorn stuff that you've been running on uh, your Instagram account and website at uh, Periscope. There was uh, there was a lot of interest from from podcasts who wanted to discuss this matter, but interestingly, not from the mainstream watch media. I mean, neither Hodinki, who was somehow involved in this whole story, as they they were basically the ones that presented the watch the first time in 2013 nor anybody else was interested in the story and picked it up. So it's... Uh... Well, you know we don't editorialize about auctions. I mean, we just assume that it's a bunch of funny business. And <laughs> if we see one of the cool watches, we'll write about it. But the fact that somebody somewhere is selling a watch, we don't understand why that's newsworthy. Okay, good answer. <laughs> 
just assume that there's a permanent banner at the top of the page that says, yeah, it's in an auction. It's probably a bit ropey. <laughs> we love talking about stories that you discuss and things like that, but any one given auction, I mean, there could be exceptions if there's some remarkable one-of-a-kind thing, but like, that's a very specialized area and it requires expertise like you have, Jose, to properly say, this is something which has truly not been in the market and this is cool or you know what, I wouldn't take this so seriously. There's a bunch of Frankenstein elements here. Story doesn't really add up. If you like it, great, but I don't think these people have got the treasure that they say they have. And there's value to that. That's a totally different game than buying and selling new or used watches. Uh, and where is the story up to now? You're not, obviously, you've not had anybody from presumably the auction houses or the manufacturer phone you up and set you right no that's that's always something that, that people ask whether you know whether i have received any cease and desist letters or whether i have been sued by a brand or by an auction house and so far uh, nothing happened i mean uh, everything is very quiet uh, i don't know if they are planning to send me some ninjas at some point but uh, <laughs> so far nothing happened and your defense against ninjas We've just come out of the Christmas seasons, your house set up like Home Alone, ready to batter folk with irons and hot handles Of course, handles that's one thing, but then, of course, there are, there are I mean, in a, on, a, on a more serious note, there are, of course, protocols in place that in case that, you know, anything would happen, people I know that are have nothing to do with, uh, with, uh, with watches, they would uh, immediately, you know, put all my databases and all the files that I have, you know, documented, everything that I have documented over the years, they would put that online and uh, as a side note. <laughs> as a fail safe. It sounds like you might have Liam Neeson <laughs> hiding in your, in your cupboard somewhere. I have a unique set of skills. Let's look about this more carefully. Uh, the industry could have that type of antagonist, antagonistic relationship with Jose or people like him. Or I, what I think is they should shift their thinking and to say, okay, we have this very valuable, very accurate and absolutely free uh, system of checks uh, on us where if we say something which is wrong, someone will let us know. If nobody says anything, we're just going to keep saying it. And it is offering feedback on how things look and how it sounds. I mean, these people are asking huge sums of money for these little machines that most people agree aren't worth that much. They should really do it by the book, be accurate, be historically, I guess you get responsible and, and take into consideration all the little details that a museum would care about because they're selling it as that type of thing. It's, it's, it needs to be uh, treated seriously and there needs to be dignity uh, for the buyer as well as for the, um, the enthusiast out there. I mean, there's so much funny business in it is that I barely take it seriously. I don't even pay attention to it. It's like, it just, it just annoys me because it's like so much silliness. I mean, I love historical watches, but I don't believe any of them. Once in a while, they'll get it right, but they're just as often wrong. So, like, I can't personally learn anything about watch history through an auction house because it's just they're too self-serving. They're going to say what they want you to think in that movement about that watch, and they might say something opposite uh, a week later. Uh, that, for me, is not an academic environment, and they try to be it. So, Jose is acting as um, a free check on their work, and I think marketers should value and celebrate that and not be so uh, frustrated. Just, you know, go with it. Race to the top, then, David, your final comment, which is just what's going to happen to the grey market 
in 2023. Well, let's just say if you paid $45,000 for a steel Daytona, you, you, you're clenching right now, probably, because that was not the wisest move. It is true that, you know, like, it, there's a reason why certain brands put a certain price tag on their products. There's a reason why Rolex is not selling the Daytona for 45k. It's not a $45,000 watch. And uh, if you participate in that, uh, sure, you know, like, you may want that watch, it may be your grail, grail watch, but then again, you're not buying that to flip it. You will just own it for the rest of your life or however many years, and then it's it's fine. But for others, I feel like sometimes these things get a little blurred, the lines between whether a watch is good because it's a good watch or if it's good because other people want it too. And a lot of people just want it in because it was the hot thing, a hot item to own. And we like watches for what they are as watches, but other people you know, it's it's a meaningless thing. It's just another car, a yacht, a painting, or whatever. It just happened to be a watch, and we happen to be part of it because, obviously, we are part of the watch industry as professionals and also as customers. And so we had to endure this whole thing where where watches that we might have wanted doubled or tripled in price. But that, that just burst spectacularly now, and I think it's going to go further still. And at the same time, I also encourage everybody to have an open mind when it comes to uh, choosing a watch of their liking or just, just searching a little bit further. Because if we look back at 2022, we can safely say that the watches of 2022 have been awesome. There were so many amazing watches across every price range that I, I'm just baffled why uh, people would not look further and just just stick to those four, five, six iconic watches that everybody is after. When you know there have been easily several dozens of amazing watches launched just in the past twelve months. Jose, your favorite watch release of twenty twenty two? My favorite release is probably something um, something like the like the Bulgari Octo Finissimo. Um, Sejima. The Sejima, the, the mirror finish one. Yeah, I think that, that one looks super cool. I was just looking cool. at a picture of that. <laughs> yeah. Ariel doesn't do top five lists of anything, but the, the Sejima edition would have been in my top five of, of anything from 2023. Why can't we just say there was a lot of cool watches, you know? like I was like, <laughs> no, but narrow it down arbitrarily right now. Got to make a list. Got to make a list. <laughs> That's the watch that that remained in my memory. I don't right now. I I cannot think of any other. I mean, maybe yeah, maybe the the the, the super deep uh, Rolex. But I mean, that watch is just something. You know, uh, maybe also because I'm I'm interested in architecture and design anyway. But I I think that that watch is really something something special that uh, that we haven't seen before, and uh, it just remained in my in my mind. So. Great stuff. Well, go and check out the article. There's a very active comment section there as well, so go and contribute your thoughts at a blogtowatch.com. Okay, we have some watches in the news this week, and one story that was actually, I think, brought to me by my wife before it appeared on any social media watch geek channels is this uh, thinly veiled row <laughs> that's been going on between uh, G Gerard Piquet uh, former uh, footballer of note and his ex-wife Shakira. Uh, Gerard Piquet and Shakira have obviously been divorced and Shakira has now recorded a song which basically slags off the fact that he, his new girlfriend she considers to be a Casio and she considers herself to have been a Rolex and he has traded a Rolex in Shakira in for a Casio of his new girlfriend and this is kind of 
set the watch geeks going because oh somebody somebody famous and good looking is talking about watches uh but this has resulted in casio doing a sponsorship deal with gerard Piquet. so some guerrilla marketing at its best there but the question i want answered is are there any casio watches you would rather have than a rolex go on what Casio would you prefer over a Rolex? Name me some Casios that are better than Rolex. First of all, that solid gold G-Shock is is pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. And, you know, if you want a watch that will last literally your lifetime but have a crazy story around it and be handmade by, you know, the top of the top in, in Japan, like, those high-end G-Shocks are really, really cool. Um, you know, they'll... they'll basically last the rest of your life you know you won't they won't need to be serviced nothing like that just keep them lit with sun uh there's an argument that at some point you might need to replace the battery but i don't even think they really charge for that they just want you to like wear those things uh it's it's just something really cool that has as much if not more engineering in it than your 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 highest end rolex so it's not really a choice of one or the other but like there there isn't there aren't bad choices at the top end of casio uh, I will I will pick Rolex any any time. <laughs> Basically, I I don't think that's I I'd be lying if I said I didn't. But it is true that that Casio makes epic watches. I own uh, quite a few of them. Um, I, you know I own the the cheapest diamond set watch in the world, which is a Casio and costs about I don't know fifty bucks or sixty bucks. Uh, there's an article on the blog to watch. Uh, a detailed review of that piece and just basic G shocks. And I've been aspiring to have one of these super high-end MRGs one, one of these days, especially the Gutsun ones. Uh, it, you know, hopefully I will pull the trigger on one of those, but, but that has not yet happened. But if I were to have just one watch for the rest of my life, it would be a Rolex and not a Casio for sure. Well, look, I think, I think the Casio G-Shocks are, are like really cool. And, you know, I'm, I, I love tool watches and military watches, you know, uh, that were used by Navy divers and stuff. I mean, uh, and those were Rolex and, you know, of course, the Panerai watches made by Rolex and, uh, and others. But, uh, you know, in modern times, uh, you know, everybody switched to G-Shock. So there are very cool G-Shocks that you can buy from the, for instance, from the French Marine Nationale that have uh, military markings on the back. And uh, they are really cool. And it's like uh, Ariel says, I mean, you, you know, you can, you can, you know, put a new battery in and you can have that forever, basically. But what I noticed with my own Casio is that they are not, are they like supposed to be like super precise? Well, the ones that are the most precise update themselves, you know, so right now with Bluetooth, even their inexpensive watches costing as little as maybe 110 or $120. What it does is every little once in a while, it just syncs with your phone. So the quartz movement is going to be off by about 15 seconds a month. That is just your quartz movement. And so the way they've come, gone around that is by just having the movement update. The three options for that is the radio signals from uh, atomic clocks, if you're in the vicinity of one, which is not everywhere, and it's not that reliable unless you're really close to it. There's, of course, GPS, which is great, but you need to be outside, and it uses a lot of power. Or the most efficient is to just talk to a nearby Bluetooth device and to pick up internet time. Um, and so that's what I they see, do now. Interesting. Okay, so, but to answer the question, no, I would go for a Rolex, of course. There's enough watches <laughs> for everybody. I mean, you know. Exactly. 
Two for two. I I would I would boss the gold G Shock. I think the solid gold G Shock is just the most baller move <laughs> in terms of stealth wealth. It's the modern president's watch. Exactly. <laughs> Joe Biden's left it in his uh, garage somewhere. Arrow, have you handled that gold G Shock? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine it just weighs like the most a watch has ever weighed. No, I mean it's heavy. I've I've worn I've, I've held heavier things. I mean it's it's. It's just a heavy G-Shock because it's gold. Uh, it's machined very well. It has a great presence to it because, you know, yes, you can do a, an emulation with sort of a coating, an IP coating over the steel that they do a lot to make it look like gold. It's really not a replacement for actual gold. Gold shines in a way, plays with the light in a way that just the coating doesn't. It's like you don't, it, it, you don't, it, the fact that it's digital doesn't bother you at all. You're like, this is super cool. <laughs> so I've just found the lyric. So the lyric is, I'm worth two 22s. I suspect that's because Gerard's new girlfriend is 22 years old as opposed to the mid 50s Shakira, possibly. I'm not sure. I'm worth two 22s. You traded a Ferrari for a Twingo, you traded a Rolex for a Casio. That's brutal lyrics, but there we go. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that Shakira wrote those and knows what either a Twingo or a Casio is, but there we go. Oh, but by the way, uh, Rick, they, they, they were not married. They were just, uh, you know. I think what happened is that, that Shakira was still living with him while he was already, uh, you know, uh, having this, this new girlfriend on the side. That's why she's like somehow involved in her hate song against him. Yes. And let's not go too much into that because unlike auction houses and you know, others, these guys will sue us, almost certainly, <laughs> if we get it wrong. Have you guys seen, I saw this picture floating around, I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's actually out there, if it, if it was real or not, but I saw this witty reply from, um, from Casio in a tweet. I'm not sure if that was real, but it said, you know, like, something along the lines, like, hey, Shakira, we may not be Rolex, but at least we have loyal customers, um, or our customers are loyal to us, or something like that. So that was that was a brutal <laughs> reply, and I'm trying to find it now. Wasn't, wasn't there another reply uh, that said, like, the battery of our watches lasts longer than the relationship between Shakira and Piquet? <laughs> <laughs> that could also be it. <laughs> it's hilarious bit of last week's show this week so ariel you sent me a wee email earlier on from seiko this is the power design project returning and it begs to ask the question does this mean further to last week's conversation that there's now going to be even more seiko watch releases no that's the sad thing you never get to buy these or at least not really Maybe some of them they've made. I, actually, I'm not sure. Once in a while they have, I think. But they definitely don't make all of them and not exactly the way that these concepts are. Like, these are cool concept watches. Is this effectively a relaunch of a scheme they used to have whereby they invited, like, designers, industrial designers to come up with something new for watches? I don't remember watches? all the parameters, to be honest. But what it is is they have designers. I don't know if they're students. They, My understanding is they're all in Japan. And right. they take at least this year they took certain classics and reinterpreted them that's what seiko seems to be doing now which is actually very interesting they're saying hey designers can you take our classics and reinterpret them 10 years ago when they were doing this it was come up with new stuff so it sort of goes to david's statement about you know running to the archives 
it is very true to see this happening, and it's happening within their own design competition where the own management actually doesn't want new stuff. They're like, can you help us regurgitate real good? And I think that that's very interesting. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, there are uh, a couple of watches that came out. These are cool. These are nice things. They're not all revolutionary like they used to be because, you know, they were really trying to go, you know, kind of crazy. Uh, now they're they're a little bit more uh, relaxed about it. But I think that this is, uh, it's great just to look at. So look at the watches. I, I love when a great industrial designer approaches the problem of making a wristwatch. Usually it never gets made when it does. Usually they have to like hold back because they have all these ambitious ideas. Here, someone with relatively ambitious ideas could get, uh, you know, Seiko to make it. What a dream that is to be able to make a concept watch for a brand and then have them make a physical example. I mean, that is generous. And we see that um, in Japan where there is there is a great generosity uh, within some of these, you know, these promotions that they do. Uh, I've never seen that in America or, or Europe. It's like, hey, someone <laughs> design a car and we'll make it. That would be really cool, right? So I think it's interesting. Uh, I'd love to see more of it. I'd love to see other brands do things like this where they make people's concept watches. Um, so I, I celebrate stuff like this. Yeah, go and Google Power Design Project and Seiko and go and have a look at some of the archives. I mean, just the name is super Japanese, right? Power Design Project. Like, it sounds cool, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm expecting some cartoon characters with, like, samurai swords or something. Maybe in the past they've done it. It's not a new initiative. I, again... I, I do stand corrected. They have definitely produced some watches that have resulted from it, but it, I don't think it's the case that every watch mm. made as power part of these gets sold. In fact, most of them I don't think are. There are some fantastic uh, designs there that have obviously been done by some very talented uh, designers, which it would be lovely to see the light of day. David and Jose, you've obviously both been around the watch world. You'll have seen stuff that was proposed that never came out. Is there any brand out there that you've seen something from that you wish they would do or wish they would bring back like to delve genuinely into the proper archives and bring something back with real value rather than going into the archives and bringing back something something safe you know i'm not suggesting we go back to tiering the taff zenith days but you know what uh is there something genuinely in the archive that should be brought back well i mean my my dream would be that uh, you know Rolex would make a re-edition of of the 1935 reference 2533, which was basically the very first Panerai watch, and uh, that watch was was a nine carat gold uh, oversized cushion case, uh, like basically a pocket watch that was like turned 90 degrees, and they they soldered uh, wire locks. To the side so that they could be worn on the wrist so super i cool. mean that would be just amazing if if, if rolex or tudor i think but you know it should be rolex if they would make a re-edition of that watch and uh once and for all show where panerai watches uh, originate from is this just to boost the price of all those used panerais you've got in a drawer somewhere <laughs> I, I don't i don't know i have i have only one one modern Panerai here with me that uh, basically I bought many years ago, uh, cheap already, and uh, and you know it's just uh -huh. not worth selling it. So you know it's it's just somewhere somewhere in a drawer, as you said. 
Well, I'm not sure if it's in an archive already, but um, a couple of years ago, I think about two or three years ago, I was doing a manufacture with one of these oldest, most historic, most fanciest named manufacturers ever. And uh, sometimes what happens uh, in these places is you just uh, lean over the shoulder of a watchmaker and you look at what they are doing and what they are up to. And uh, they were working on what is potentially the most complicated wristwatch ever. But it is definitely the most complicated wristwatch of that brand in the modern era. And, um, you know, of course, no pictures, no nothing. And I thought to myself, wow, this is going to be huge when it comes out. And it also leans heavily on the inventions of the person who founded that brand. So I think, you know, you guys are, are getting closer to the brand that I'm referring to. But I'm not going to say it. And so I've, I've been looking forward to to that watch. And where is that watch? And, it, you know, it, it's been a number of years and it looked rather close to completion, even by the standards of such a complicated watch. And and so I'm really not sure where that's gone. Maybe we'll see something this year or maybe it's in another drawer of a, of a collector somewhere and, and it will never see the light of day. But it was very exciting and uh, I look forward to it uh, debuting sometime. Coming to an auction house near you sometime soon. Mm, yeah, potentially. <laughs> the, the never, never before seen <clears throat> watch from. Yeah, but at least um, this time it will actually be true, and <laughs> not a Franken watch. <laughs> <laughs> we touched on Panerai last week, and actually the week before, and we've already touched them on the show and we're going to do it again because Pan and I have been sending out their press releases again trying to surf on the back of famous people wearing their watches without appearing to actually pay them for wearing their watches and this was I don't even know who this guy is so that's that's half of the problem Troy Baker wearing a Panerai Luminor Pam 0674 now, this is this The Last of Us. Is this this thing from a computer game that everyone's raving oh, about? Oh, I saw that. I, the game was good. It was a good original story. And then this is on HBO. Well done. Mm. So who was wearing the watch? And was it from Last of Us? So this is Troy Baker, who is standing in front of a The Last of Us logo. So I assume he must be in the show. Oh, okay. But the picture I've seen, he looks scared. Now, maybe that's because the show is scary. But he's kind of like holding this Panerai watch. I, it's just a really weird, weird image. You need to go and that's search out Troy look. Baker. That's just his look. If you see him in, in shows, that's the look he does. He's just a, he's just a scary looking dude, is he? Yeah, he's just he's one of those character actors that does that. So I th some context here. These events have these like rooms that you go to to borrow fancy clothing. Like this started with jewelry where women would borrow jewelry for red carpets. And then it turned right. into watches. <clears throat> Sometimes these celebrities are gifted at other times not. But the requirement is like, hey, take a picture. So someone like this was probably, you know, gifted this watch or something like that. But Panero has been doing a lot of this lately, of this sort of placement. Um, not new. A little bit of a new strategy for uh, for Panerai, of course. But I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't consider this like actually somebody choosing it. Yeah, maybe they chose that watch or something like that. But the whole goal is to get the picture. It's not to have us write about it. It's hey, let's have a famous person who's popular right now be wearing our product. The context around won't, around it won't matter. What matters is you know the you know the, the picture. So I I don't know all the details here, but obviously this has been part of Panerai's strategy, and it's one that is not um, unique uh, at at Richemont. 
Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I'm a big Panerai fan. It's probably the watch I own that is the highest end watch I have. So well, then watch Panerai The fan. Last of Us, where there's a watch is part of the story. Did you know that? A watch is a major part of the story. Not a Panerai. Not a Panerai. Is it in the, in the TV show? Well, from the game itself, that the, 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 the lead character has like a, wears a sentimental watch, and you see the watch a lot. It's not even a very pretty watch. That's the sad thing. It's like a military watch on a NATO uh-huh. strap. It's fine. It's just, it's not... You, we wouldn't look at it and be like, oh, that's sexy. We'd be like, okay. Well, I did hear that the other new show that's out that I was getting messages saying, oh, there's watch content in this show. Is this Disney? It doesn't sound like a very Disney show called The Chippendales, which is about the Chippendale dancers. This is on Disney Plus? So you'll put up with male strippers for watch shots. Got it. Uh, I think you're watching Disney Plus Plus, Rick. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> <laughs> Disney Plus R. No, I'm yeah. not watching it at all. Disney X. I was told, <laughs> but the <laughs> but the apparently there's lots of Rolex content, and uh, there, there's a Rolex that plays a key role in in founding myth of the Chippendales. Allegedly, I'm sure it's all hokum. No, this is good. I mean, this means that watches are a really big part of pop culture. I mean, we're la- laughing about yeah, it. It's absolutely. kind of a uh, cliche, but at least it's not an iPad. But what, what, what is the story here? So, so Panerai made a press release that this guy was, was basically wearing a, a Panerai watch. No, they go to a red carpet event. They place these watches on people's for picture purposes. And then they send a press release saying, hey, look, celebrities wearing our watches. That's, I know it sounds simple because it is. That's all it is. <laughs> cool. Well, go and check out both the film and the watch. Oh, not the film. The t- go and check out the TV show. Uh, and it's a good show. The watch. 2023 marks 25 years of Urwork, a brand from Baumgartner and Fry with the ambition to challenge auto lingerie with new ideas and modern technologies, making art that tells time. The first watches that Urwerk released were the UR101 and UR102 in 1997, which both featured wandering hours. However, six years later in 2003, Urwerk presented the UR103, replacing the previous more traditional timepieces with a satellite-style version, which has become an iconic feature of the brand ever since. For more, search for Urwerk at blogtowatch.com or follow at Urwerk Geneva on Instagram. Let's review some actual watches. So the last week or so has been LVMH Watch Week in Singapore. Yep. And my first question on this is, Watches and Wonders isn't too far away. We've had an absolute shed load of releases and reviews on uh, blogtowatch.com from all the LVMH brands. So Bulgari, Hublot, Tag and Zenith. Are they leaving something in the drawer for Watches and Wonders? Yes. Or is... Yes. And where else can they go? Because they've done, you know, they've really spread the love amongst the four brands in Singapore. They just released half. It was a very light offering. You think so? Oh, I know so. Was this a new new thing, LVMH Watch Week? Is this a new strategy? Or does this happen every time in Singapore? Is it just back because of COVID? Oh, they changed the city, but the concept is the same. Right. I don't know. I I mean, there's different marketing in different parts of the world. But there's like, you know, like car brands, they try to have these holidays or these times around the year. Like it's, you know, it's Toyotathon, you know, buy your Toyotas. Uh, 
that's what January is. Uh, it's sort of LVMH. It's like, it's buyer watch week. It's to retailers because what they're trying to do is capture as much of their money as possible before watches and wonders. So the retailers have limited budgets throughout the year. And there's always been this sort of race to the beginning. That's why SIHH for many years was in January. It was let's get the retailers dollars before they go to uh, they go to Basel World, you know, a few months later in you know like March or April. It was literally to try to get as much retailer dollars as possible. So in this instance, they're kind of replicating that a little bit. They're like, oh, January is open. Let's do it uh, not in Geneva where it's freezing, and you know places like Singapore where it's not. And Good strategy. It gets them, you know, some news visibility because they love the fact that, you know, really no one else is releasing stuff in January. So in terms of trying to get available media attention, as well as in their mind, maximizing the retailer budgets, that's why they do it. Okay. So favorite watches. I mean, there's just a, a load of watches released this week. Loads of coverage on the website. I'm going to choose one or two of my favorites to talk about and then if you wish to talk about them too you can or you can chip in with something you particularly liked but i think my favorite release of the week bizarrely is actually from tag and it's the aqua racer professional Soograph watch in titanium now we talk a lot about titanium in this show especially recently i think this for the money Three grand is the kind of watch you could just buy, own. It would be your only watch. It's a good brand. It's got the solar charging, so you're never really going to need to service it until something really goes horribly wrong. It's properly worth resistant. It's titanium, so it's not going to scratch. You're not going to damage it. It's going to be light. The loom's great on it. It's got a date on it, which all watches should have, frankly. I think that this is the watch release from LVMH Watch Week. Tell me I'm wrong. Fight me. You're not wrong. That's going to be a short conversation then. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, look, the the biggest complaint that that's going to get is like, how dare you tag Hoyer charge this much money for an eco drive? Yeah. And that's actually not effective uh, statement because this is actually like an eco drive plus. Yes, it's more or less made by the same people. But it's got like a beefier battery, a beefier solar panel. Like it actually does it better. So it is actually over-engineered in that sense. Uh, it is a great tool watch. Uh, it will last an extraordinary long time. Uh, these are low productions. So 3000 isn't insanely high. It really isn't. But sort of the, the pundits could argue that it is. I think that Hublot had a nice selection, but there you, you we don't really see a shift in their strategy. It's sort of the same strategy of colors and materials. The re-release of the retro models was fine, but nothing amazing because I don't know that that market is huge, but it's nice to see those again to be remi reminded you know, where the design came from. I think Zenith had maybe the least, uh, what I would say, novel personality. Uh, they were nice watches, but it's hard to see a theme just sort of all over the place. But we do know that most of these brands are saving their best stuff for watches and wonders. I think sort of the most talked about collector's piece was the sort of Tag Heuer Monza. I think it was over $13,000 for, you know, a, a cool art watch that's very sporty, not really a tool watch, very cool. But that's the sort of side of Tag Heuer we don't really see very often is where they get into those price points. And they have in the past and they continue to do so from time to time today. But 
it's funny how polarizing those can be. Ariel, can you explain to me the how this movement works of the Tech Hoyer? Yeah, I mean it's it's an eco drive in the sense that it has a it's a solar powered. So there's a a, a photovoltaic cell uh, that exists under the dial. It's the, the light passes through it. It charges a battery, and the battery uh, powers a quartz movement. So it's it's a very well made one, and, and like I said, compared to the Citizen ones, it 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 just has beefier specs. And so, how long does the battery last once it's uh, fully charged? Months. Oh wow! Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it gets a huge charge from like just a tiny amount of light, which is not true with the EcoDrive. The EcoDrive ones, because the dials are designed to actually hide the fact that light can enter, they use a complicated series of prisms. Not that much light actually reaches uh, the photovoltaic cell. Uh, enough does, but uh, this really is sort of a, a it's 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 the over-engineered solar you know solar watch. It, starts with it, what the Japanese did and sort of builds upon it. It's an interesting sort of hybrid. It, it's cool. I, I love stuff like that. I know that there's like, not everyone likes those collaboration stories, but I, I think it's freaking neat. And this is the second solar graph they did. The first one was last year with that, uh, was it carbon? Is that what it was? It was interesting. Yeah, it was a carbon yeah, one. Yeah, different kind of colors and things like that. It's great to see it come back. I think Taghori is doing the right thing of making it sort of like, one at a time, slightly different changes. Don't make it an overly produced watch. Uh, but, you know, it, it, I'm so glad they continue to do this stuff. It's so It would be so easy for them to just go super boring, you know, just Carreras and, and Monaco's and just the same thing. That they sort of throw this thing, this stuff in there, uh, to me, uh, makes me happy. And, you know, it, 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 it continues to keep our attention. You know, we want to know. We're curious. Oh, what's Tag coming out with? And there's some brands we don't pay attention until someone says like, oh, by the way, did you hear so-and-so actually came out with something cool? And we're like, really? Like with TAG, <laughs> we still want to know what they're going to come out with. And that's good. And where's the advantage to Citizen Group in providing this tech? Well, there's, um, it says that they're provided by LeJou Pere, which is owned by Citizen. Mm -hmm. So this isn't technology that I believe was engineered by TAG Hoyer, which is fine. That's normal. Yeah. But again, I think it's through Le Jupere, which again, it's, I, I don't know, know that anyone really is set up in Switzerland for this. So I, I need to know a little bit more about the backstory. But that's my understanding is that it's uh, through Le Jupere, which itself is owned by Citizen. And Citizen, we know, is the master of this technology. Yeah, but why would Citizen let one of their big competitors access, have access to this technology? Oh, they love the idea because they get to sell the cheaper version and then they get to benefit uh -huh. from pro providing the technology for the more expensive one. That's like their dream, that these Swiss watches have their movements. They love that idea. They want, they want Tag Heuer to, to, for these to do well so that Tag Heuer comes and buys these movements. As opposed to trying to create something equivalent to Tag Heuer themselves via the Citizen. But they have it. They have $7,000, $8,000 eco drives, the super accurate ones. Uh, Citizen has it, and they, and they set their niche. If, if anything, Tag Heuer selling a high-priced solar-powered watch legitimizes it and makes citizen stuff more interesting, creates more of a market for it. Fair enough. The Tag Heuer Monza, you've already mentioned it. I, I thought Tag probably had the best of the week. I don't know whether it's because they've got so much of the range that they can hold back the Monaco, the other stuff that will undoubtedly come out of Watches and Wonders. I really like the Monza and wonder to what extent... It should be more front and center than the Monaco because I think it's just a much more wearable, 
a much more interesting case than yeah. just a lump of square that that some driver allegedly wore in some film back in the day. <laughs> the monocle looks great uh, on, on, on pictures. It, it's such a great design, but the moment you put it on your wrist, it sits so high, it's so bulky yeah. uh, that it just it just loses. It has zero wrist appeal. It's it's a very uh, appealing watch on, on pictures and, and uh, you know, when, when you're just holding it in your hand. But the moment you put it on, it's like, oh my God, what, what, what is this? By contrast, this Monza looks super wearable and the previous monsters these modern ones also were very comfortable and just looked great on the wrist and this is more out there of course in this case and with the open dial but uh hey it's something oh wow it's 14 grand holy crap i just saw that <laughs> <laughs> yes oh, wow. there's always a thing about the price I, I don't think i've ever actually seen a monza in a tag heuer boutique hmm is this this isn't like a relaunch it, it is there's no other currently made monza is is there none i didn't no. realize that i assumed that there were still some kicking about it's crazy so this is so we can expect to see this is the first one and we're going to start to see it in presumably Maybe. stainless steel etc i wouldn't go at, i wouldn't uh, go so far as to say Mars. that right away i don't think they're going to go like that but if there is demand uh, this is Mm -hmm. uh, if anything, coming out with this watch allows Tag Heuer to sample what the sentiment around the Monza is. If it gets a lukewarm yep. reception, then they've made some you know weird high-end watches. They don't even have to make the full production. If it gets a great reception, then maybe it's a signal that the Monza should come back. I didn't realize it left, but uh, rather than seeing rows and rows of monocles yeah. in Tag boutiques and going, well, they're really nice, but you can't wear them. I, I wanted to mention this last week when we were talking about the uh, the potential new um, uh, silicium hairspring or silicon hairspring in the in the Omega Speedmaster. Because, you know, Speedmaster is what, like six, seven grand, and uh, this Monza is now 13, and I wanted to mention it last week that I think we will start seeing more brands aim at this Daytona price of a chronograph. And I think that's also what's happening here. You know, and when they when these brands look at the market and they th and, and what they see is that people can't get enough of a 15 grand chronograph and they are ready to spend double or triple, then uh, then that creates a vacuum. And they are they are I'm sure asking themselves like what what the hell are we doing here with our six, seven grand chronographs. It's not that Omega doesn't make more expensive ones, they do, but they, you know, they have a sort of an icon with the Speedmaster there from last week. And, you know, they have every reason to position it higher and, you know, make stratospherically higher margins by consequence. And and um, same here, I think, you know, this watch could have easily, I don't see anything on it that keeps it from being an eight grand watch or a seven grand watch, but it just happens to be 14. And potentially that is the reason why it's, it's the Daytona effect. We have a couple of releases from Hublot, the classic Fusion, which I'm like sorely tempted to chat about, but because David is here and because Hublot released the Big Bang Unico Integrated Rainbow and Big Bang Unico Time Only Rainbow watches, and we know that David is Mr. Rainbow, Yes. then David, we're going to look at this watch. What do we think? Is Where does this sit in the pantheon of rainbow watches? It's it's uh it's pretty high. I think uh, this deserves uh, all the praise. <laughs> Such a fine watch can receive. <laughs> I, I've seen a number of these over the years, and uh, Ublo keeps making these, and I believe they are made in house. Uh, and the quality of the setting and everything is, is is always exemplary. So so it's it's really an amazing exercise in terms of uh, habillage, you know, in terms of uh, how you decorate a bracelet and a case and the pestle. And uh, sure, it's all over the top or, or whatever. It's it's I think it's a fun 
fun thing to look at without any sort of uh, other agenda or whatever else. It's just it's just an over-the-top watch and just how you guys like a solid gold G-Shock, this is that times 11 in my mind. And for that reason, I just I just happen to like these things. Yeah, I, I, I just can't get away from the fact that you're spending $160,000 on a watch and I know that it's virtually impossible to do, but there is technology that can do it. Mm. You know, bolts, for example, but they can't get the screw heads to line up. They can get, <laughs> they can get the gems to fade from yellow to red to blue to green, but they can't get the six screw heads to line up on the same bezel. And that, I'm sorry, would just do no, they, my they, head they, in. They, it's, it's done like that on, on purpose. I'm not saying that it should make you feel fine. There's definitely people that fall into two camps. People that don't care at all, uh -huh. and you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, that's, that's me with most things to be it, fair. It's, it's people that don't care. They're like me. saying, but we're trying to prove that these are real screws. And that's how real screws operate, if you know how real screws are. The other ones that Audemars Piguet does are not yeah. screws they just have a line you know that, that you know it's just it's it's they're not it's just meant to look that way they're bolts you know blah 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 yeah but they could just put bolt heads on that and screw it from the other side surely yeah i mean it's a fairly simple mechanics put the screw on the other side then i'll just and remind you how stubborn the swiss are <laughs> okay yeah. that's fair enough i'll accept that as Let, let's let's not forget the Chopard alpine eagle that actually has what they say <laughs> screws and they are lined up properly and that only cost yeah. him several million dollars of R&D. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, if you're, gonna, if you're got it, you might as well spend it on something. And of course, it, the screws like this, every watch is unique, right? Because every watch will have a different position. <laughs> Think about it. That's like its fingerprint. They don't need a, like a, you know, uh, an NFT in there. Just take a picture of the unique alignment of the screw Exactly. <laughs> I think it was A's trying to refer to a certain bit of investigative journalism <laughs> he did. <laughs> you will always recognize the Hublot, which one is the, the one that you've seen in the picture. So if you're going to auction this off, saying that this Hublot is from 19 umpty ump, then this picture can show that it was the press piece that was only in 2023. <laughs> so don't you go trying it, Mr. Auction House. We have a Seiko release and it wouldn't be fair to have a Seiko release and not play guess the price of the Seiko. So without cheating anyone, this is the Seiko debuting the Prospects 1965. So it's a vintage reinvention, modern reinterpretation, save the ocean, SLA 065 watch. I have two questions. What's the movement and what's the case material? Okay, it is steel. Okay. And it is the six series movement yeah it's a it's a reinterpretation of the 62 mass i'm looking for the ba, 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 ba. if only we could get who wrote this article ripley gonna put gonna put the movement right at the top of the article to give us a hand 8l35 oh it's an eight. Ooh, yeah, that changes go. things i didn't know numbers ah. go that high okay so first up then guessing the price of this seiko We'll give it to Jose. Give us a price. How much are Seiko trying to sell this watch for? This watch, not knowing anything about this watch, I would say like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Ariel, you were saying like even better the movement or is it like a like a really good movement? Listen, it, it only helps a little bit, I'm telling you. There's no way of guessing. Just guess. Like... I don't know. What is it, like a $5,000 watch? It could be. It could be. Could be. Could be. <laughs> but it also could be $800. Well, if you the price of the moment... 
<laughs> so, Ozzy guesses five grand. David, what are you guessing? Two grand. Two grand from David. Ario, it's an eight. Oh, it's an eight. I know, what are you but guessing? Maybe, the pri- maybe they're no longer promoting that one. It's in the lower expensive <laughs> models now. They're prone to doing things like that. I haven't been following along. Damn it. It's like following a sports team. You lose one season. You have no idea what's going on. We'll go close to what David said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say like 1600 Okay. It is in the middle. The price of this watch is two thousand nine hundred. Oh, it's higher than US two. US dollars. Oh. It's higher. I knew so that eight series one was going to throw everything off. <laughs> so there we go. This week, uh, Seiko are selling their watches for two thousand nine hundred dollars. <laughs> it's quite a nice watch. It's entirely up to you as to whether you think it's worth two thousand nine hundred dollars. <laughs> Truly, with all my expertise, you have no idea. <laughs> so Ripley, if in future you could put all the details at the top of the article, but if you could make sure the price is very much at the bottom of the article so that we can continue to play this game because it's quite a good game. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to the show this week. We are nearly done. We have a little promotion to make, which is we have a superlative episode out, and it's actually me interviewing Ariel. And in that show, we exclusively reveal another use for a chronograph which we will add to our list which is showing off because if you listen to the show you'll get to hear about little ariel adams running around in shorts in the playground showing off the complications on his watch so show off is also the uh something we're going to add that's the part you choose to discuss wow (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of other good stuff as well i thought that was relevant to both shows thank you that was fun to do that was fun to do that show it, it was it was good it was good so do do check that out as we reverse the tables on mr adams jose thank you very much for joining us do tell us where we can find you on the internet periscope.com or on instagram uh handle periscope or perestroika which is my uh, backup account just in case my main account is being disabled again by auction houses, uh, watch Uh brands, or whoever. (laughs) (laughs) The Ninja Collective. Good stuff. Ario, where can we find you on the internet? You can read my articles on ablogtowatch.com and on Instagram, Ariel to watch. And David, tell us about your underscore. It is ABTW underscore David. That's what it is. Exactly. (laughs) Excellent. And you can find me at, at Rick TikTok. So thank you all for listening. Tune in again next week. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye, everyone.